This the remix. Just for you personally, with this first win coming against that group on the other side, does this win feel a little bit more poetic for you in any sense? I don't believe so. I really, I have said this over and over again. I don't look at them with any ill will. They gave me a great opportunity at a young age. And if anything, I look at it like it was a blessing because I learned so much from it. Yeah, yeah. They, they said I looked faster than I used to today. And I said, that's good because I'm 31. So uh, I think it was, I think it was laser 469. Uh, hand time like 459. That's what I say. But uh, but it showed up today. But that's that's just something that if, if they want to double everybody, I'm going to have to do that, you know, to help the team. Press box transition. I mean, I'm feeling good, man. I feel great. Uh, you know, hats off to my masseuse. She does a great job. And, uh, you know, all the work I've been putting in the weight room uh, just is continuing to, you know, keep my body strong. And I'm feeling fast out there. Uh, there were some lanes out there. I don't know how many men are out there now that have had a massage that perhaps occasionally there was a happy ending. All right? Maybe there's nobody in your listening audience that that ever happened to. I do want to point out, if it has happened, it's not a crime. You sense any give up in the locker room? Hell no. What kind of questions that, Phil? Just crushed my dreams. Boom. Sadness. That's the one. Uh, Jared, what player gave a shout-out to his masseuse? That would be Geno Smith. All right. And I don't know if he was joking or if he was just being Geno Smith. It's a good joke. Uh, good joke if it was. All right. The f- most fun segment we do. It's time to give out some greats. Grainy's grades. What you just said is one of the most insanely idiotic things I have ever heard. At no point in your rambling, incoherent response were you even close to anything that could be considered a rational thought. Grace, grace. Everyone in this room is now dumber for having listened to it. I award you no points, and may God have mercy on your soul. Grainy's grades. God damn it, I hate Jack Paddock. The first topic to grade, Broncos fans. A. A. Overtook the stadium. Most, I, I, I guarantee it was the most visiting fans since they started welcoming fans to any game. Uh, Kansas City does well. I was going to say, was last year was probably the Kansas City. Last game, year was right? Kansas City. Talked to some people in the press box, and they were convinced there's more orange than red. The Philly game. The, the, was it the Bears or the Philadelphia game where it definitely felt like, Both. whoa. Yeah. yeah. Well, <laughs> Philadelphia, Kansas City, Chicago, and probably Denver last year was probably 50 Denver 50 yesterday, for all three. though. Do you think there were more Even Max Broncos Crosby fans? said, I saw a lot of orange in the stands. Do you think there were more Broncos fans than Raiders fans? It's hard to tell. Josh Jacobs said, when you're in a stadium where everyone on our side is wearing black, the other the other color is going to pop. Well, it popped because I was in the press <laughs> box. It was popping all over the stadium. It so popped. I don't know about more Raider fans, but it was closer than you'd like it if you're the Raiders. So the Raiders need to change their team colors so their colors pop. pop. Or yes. just do a, like, well, no, I was going to say a whiteout or a silver out on. Yeah, like a whiteout. White pops. That pops enough. Uh, next topic to grade. Zamir White. 
I give this kid an A because he made a. the most of his opportunity. He had a huge run there on that last drive, on that last scoring drive, where they needed to score and put the game away. So I think it was a 23-yarder to get down to the 7. Third down he conversion. He didn't have many opportunities, and the one time he needed to have a big run, he did the big run. So I'm going to give the play call an A+. Plus a+. Because plus. the play was Josh Jacobs was actually lined up as the fullback. And Zamir White as the running back, they sort of faked a fullback dive to Josh Jacobs and then pitched it out mm-hmm. to Zamir White. I'm going to give it an A-plus right now. A-plus. I believe that if they tried that again, it's 100% getting blown up, though. Like, I think the next well, time that Josh Jacobs comes failure. out as a fullback, they're gonna, yeah. Zamir White's going to get a loss of seven right. on that play. So, if people are paying attention. Right. So maybe they shouldn't run it again. But, well, actually... Run it again against the Broncos because I'm convinced that Nathaniel Hackett team won't remember what happened. But anybody else, I think it's going to get blown up. But I thought it was great to be like, yeah, we're going to run a toss to Zamir White on what was one of the biggest plays of the game. Because again, like we talked about earlier, Broncos get a stop on that play. It's fourth down. They're kicking a field goal and the Broncos have the ball down six with whatever it would have been, two or three minutes to go in the game. All right. Next topic. Josh McDaniels onside kick. Um. I have to give this an F for this reason. F. Because people talked about momentum, <laughs> and momentum doesn't exist <laughs> because they said they had just scored, so they had all the momentum, so why would you do this? Um, I don't, again, I don't believe in momentum, So, and I also don't know why he would do it, uh, but I'm going to guess that you're going to give it a good grade. Okay, hold on. First off, neither one of us believe in momentum, but if you were arguing hey, the Raiders have all the momentum, then you should onside kick. You already got the momentum? Because you have the momentum. No, no, that's what people were saying. That's what people Oh, they were the saying they should have onside yeah, kicked? That was the whole okay. point. And I said, I don't believe in that. Uh, I'm going to give it an A+. Plus. I knew that. I knew that was plus. Because it was aggressive. And Josh McDaniels, I, I want the coaches to be aggressive. And I'd rather you be... You'd rather... B. If you're going to make a mistake, I'd rather it be an aggressive mistake than a passive one. And here's the other part of that. Denver's offense sucked so much, they only gave up three points because of it. Denver couldn't score a touchdown right. on that drive. Denver, I think they had one big pass play to get in the field goal range. Like The Raiders were one play away from getting out of that with just getting a, the ball back with a punt. Denver's offense sucks, so I have no problem with it. Well, and what I, did... Hadn't the Raiders just scored... Yes, they just scored a touchdown to go 10-7. Right. And then Denver came back down, and they went 10-10. Yeah, kicked a field goal. So okay. I'm I'm okay with that. Obviously, you can't onside kick all the time. But I'm okay with uh, errors on the side of aggression, especially early in game. So I'm down. Uh, the next topic to grade, Max Crosby. Why am I such a kindergarten teacher? And if you draw the orange, uh, orange and the apple red, that uh, I'm giving A's out today. A. Two sacks. <laughs> Two of three sacks. He's now got four of five on the year. Um, yeah, I mean, I thought he played well again. Oh, that's right. The, so the only sack the Raiders had that's not by Max Nate Crosby Hobbs. was Nate Hobbs on a blitz. Yeah, Nate Hobbs <laughs> on a blitz yesterday. And Denver didn't block Nate Hobbs. Um, so I'm not going to grade Max Crosby. I'm going to grade Denver's pass blocking, and they get an F. F. Because on one of Max Crosby's sacks, they asked the tight end to block him one-on-one. And I can't think of a dumber thing you can do as an offense. Is that when Russell Wilson turned around and all he saw was Max Crosby? Yes. Yeah. Was to ask a tight end to block Max Crosby. That is just stupid. That is legitimately dumb. 
That's not like, ah, blew an assignment or, ah, he beat a tackle. No, you asked your tight end to block Max Crosby. That's stupid. That's a fireable offense for whoever came up with that protection scheme. The worst. They get an F. Um, F. Next topic, the Raiders punt coverage. C. C. This is an average between an A (laughs) on the one time they pinned them inside the one when uh, um, Matt Collins threw the ball out and Matias Farley downed it to a F where it was just a disaster the rest of the day. F. It's an average. I'm averaging it out. F. C. Is there a point where Matt Collins becomes valuable enough as a wide receiver that he doesn't play special teams? No. I don't think so. I think he's way too good on special teams. No. I don't have a no. If if Devontae Adams is hurt, does Matt Collins still play special teams? I think he does. I think he does. I, I think that I, would be dumb if if well, Adams it might be was dumb. Hurt. I just think he does. Um, just because get Keelan Cole or somebody else to run down there. Just let Jonathan Abram run down there and down the ball and Eight tackle minutes. somebody. Right? Like just find somebody else to do it. Because right listen, if the Raiders are fully healthy, Hunter Renfro's obviously not. But if the Raiders are fully healthy, then Matt Collins is your fourth best receiving option. He's not valuable enough to the offense to where you can't play him on special teams. But Renfro's out, so right now he's your at least third best target. And if you told me that Devontae Adams was out for a game, Matt Collins is like your top wide receiver. I can't have that guy playing special teams. Imagine Devontae Adams running down there I playing just, special teams. I think they think he's so valuable on that side of the ball. I think you gave the right grade. It is a C because their punt C. coverage was atrocious. It was atrocious. <laughs> almost, uh, until he made that play. They almost lost a game because they gave up 30 yards yeah. on every punt return. I know. And like, <laughs> how bad can we? I know we already graded the offense, but genuinely. The punt returns were always 30 yards, and they'd be like, eh, we can't figure out how to like, do this whole offense no, thing. No, Denver, no, they couldn't do anything about it. Denver's like, yeah, we got a short field. What are we going to do? Short fields all day. Probably punt. Except <laughs> time it was down at the one. Uh, next topic, Melvin Gordon. Oh, first touch, <laughs> uh, fumble, return 68 yards for a touchdown. F minus. F minus. Can I ask what you would grade Amik Robertson on that play? Um, B, because B. the ball kind of went right in his hands. Uh, whoever N slash A. Uh, B went right in B. his hands, and then he made the most out of it. His return was great, but right. he. the funniest part about that is that Amik Robertson was done with the play. Like Melvin Gordon was being right. tackled in front of and him, and he was just stopping and he, because he didn't he was even going down. he didn't even go in like, oh, I need to no, help because he was tackle. getting ta- tackled. He just showed up and was like, oh, he's tackled, and then the ball just oh popped into it's his in arms. my hands. Yes, yeah, it's like I better the, go now. Right, yeah. like Amik Robertson didn't actually do anything to recover that fumble, except I guess not drop it when it hit right. both of his hands. And then he had a great return. So I think your B grade is very good. All right. Next topic to grade. Daniel Carlson. C. C. Still has a mission missing in Allegiant Stadium. On a field goal. On a field goal. Still uh, is perfect there. Had four for four yesterday in field goals. But there's something about Allegiant Stadium mixed extra points with him. And you can't miss an extra point. Give him an F, Ed. Do it. Give him an F. C minus. C minus. He gets an F. F. I don't care how many field goals you made. You can't miss the extra point. 
Hell, the field goals were. He's the, done that more, right? The he's field goals, done, field goal or miss extra points have been kind of his thing in terms of a, uh, you know, opposite of the field goals where he's never missed an Allegiant Stadium. The field goals, I think, were shorter than the extra points. Let me let me run uh, through here. How long were these no. field goals he kicked? Twenty six yarder, shorter than an extra point. Uh, thirty nine yarder, that's longer. Longer. Twenty two yarder, shorter than an extra point. Thirty yarder, short. Yeah. His second longest kick yesterday was the extra point. Right. I honestly also think that for a majority of his career, he has not been asked to kick long field goals. He's been asked, like, all right, well, it's fourth well, and in three. in the red zone. And... It t- at the 10-yard line. Yeah. Get it. All right. Um, let's do Josh McDaniels saying he doesn't have any ill will towards the mm, Broncos. Incomplete. Where? Oh. Incomplete. I don't believe when it ended that way in his first coaching stint that there's no thinking back on it and what could have been and that he got bounced uh, deservedly or not, that there's no ill will. I th- I think beating them, it's a conference opponent. Maybe there's a little more juice to it, right, than if they he beat the Chargers. There's just too much relationship there. All right. I wanted to give Josh McDaniels an F simply because I want my coaches and players to trash talk. And I want them to be like, yeah, bleep the Broncos. They fired me. And look at them now. They can't even beat me. But I do believe him simply because that was 10 years ago. Like, I honestly believe in a decade, Josh McDaniels doesn't look back and think, oh, bleep the Broncos. Like, I think, I think A, time passing, and B, B, finishing what? What did he lose? His last eight games or something as head coach yeah. there? Yeah. I think he's probably over 10 years been able to look back and say, oh, wow. That was a little bit of a disaster. I deserve to be fired. So I well, he has him. said he didn't do a good enough job. I he said that again yesterday. Yeah. Uh, all right. Last one to grade. Colton Miller. Uh, this was interesting to come down here. I have not. You've probably seen his graded out. Um, I I'm trying to remember that if he if he if he didn't play well or not. So I'm just going to say incomplete, and you can help me out incomplete. here because I was watching it, but. Um, did why what do you have for him? I don't I don't care at all about what he did as a pass blocker or a run blocker. The only thing I care about is that he got called for being an ineligible oh, man oh, down. It was oh, so yeah, good. Yeah. And, and he, he was, was far 15 down. Fifteen yards he was down way the field. Downfield. He kept looking for the screen <laughs> yes, pass to yes, go behind him. Yes. He was not like, oh, I actually took a couple no, steps. No, no, no. He was fifteen yards like, down the field. I wanted Derek Carr to throw him the ball. They showed the um now I remember they showed the uh, replay in the in the press box. And it was hilarious. It's one of the funniest. It was hilarious. He was like looking for somebody to block. There was nobody to block. He was just 15 yards yeah. downfield by himself. And I wish Derek Carr had been like, oh, my tight end is a, oh, no, that's not my <laughs> that's tight Colton. end. That would have been great if Colton Miller had been a targeted receiver on a play just because he was wandering around 15 yards down. I absolutely love that. And now I need a Colton Miller tackle eligible pass in the red zone. Yes, for a touchdown. Well, they need something in the red zone. They maybe do. that's what they're maybe that's what they're missing. They do. All right, coming up next, it's Bischoff's briefs. Bischoff's briefs. I wanted you to see these player evaluations that you asked me to do. Bischoff's briefs. I asked you to do three. Yeah. Bischoff's briefs. To evaluate three players. Yeah. How many did you do? 
Bischoff's briefs. 47. Okay. Actually, 51. I don't know why I lied just then. UNLV football is 4-1 and one after they won on Friday night. We're going to the playoff! Against New Mexico. Uh, the last time UNLV was 4-1 and one was 2003. Uh, UNLV needs to just win two of their last seven games to be bowl eligible. As we've talked about before, the schedule is not exactly difficult, and they have a very good shot to win two games, largely because Hawaii and Nevada are on the schedule, and both of those programs are atrocious this year. Even if they were to lose five in a row here, I think they would still go to a bowl game because of how bad Nevada and Hawaii are. Now, the game against New Mexico. Here was the actual interesting part, maybe a bad sign for UNLV. They were down 17 nothing to New Mexico. New Mexico is not good, but they were up 17 nothing. The defense showed up in the second half, held New Mexico to just three points in the second half, but that was still a three-possession deficit to a bad football team. And here's where I think the biggest turn was in this game, both of which revolve around UNLV's offensive line or offensive lines in the game. First off, New Mexico's early success was largely because their offensive line was dominating UNLV's defensive line. New Mexico was able to run the ball like right up the middle for five plus yards for the entire first quarter and then into the second quarter. In the second half, that stopped. UNLV started winning that battle. That changed about halfway through. The game, and that's a big deal. Mike Kamala earlier talking about UNLV's defense stuffing teams on third and fourth and short this year. They've been very good at that. They were getting beat up on their interior of their defensive line to start this game, but in the second half, that that stopped. That went away, and UNLV won that battle, and that's New Mexico couldn't run the ball. New Mexico doesn't throw the ball to begin with, and New Mexico wasn't able to beat UNLV to the edge after that and get runs around the outside, so UNLV shut down their defense. The other part of this game that, that changed... Early in that game, New Mexico was getting pressure on Doug Brumfield. And we've I've talked about it a lot. I don't have the actual numbers because I don't know that anybody actually tracks this that's publicly available. But I believe Doug Brumfield this year is probably like one of the best quarterbacks in the entire country when he's not pressured. And I also believe he's probably one of the worst quarterbacks in the country when he is pressured. Like I, I if you told me he's completed three passes all year when he's under pressure. I'd believe it. If you told me he's only thrown three incompletions when he's not under pressure, I'd also believe that. And New Mexico got pressure on Brumfield early in that game. Second half, offensive line was probably better, but they went, I think, to more quick passing in that second half and sort of negated the pressure that New Mexico was getting. So if you're projecting forward, right, what we've seen this year, I think the defensive line will probably be fine. Right, Obviously, they're going to play some better teams here in the next uh, five games, so maybe there's some cracks. But my big question is the offensive line. And over these next five games, how do they hold up for Doug Brumfield? Right, The next five games are probably the five best teams on the schedule. How does this offensive line look over these next five games? If they hold up well, I expect Brumfield to be great, and I expect this offense to be great. If for whatever reason, the offensive line has some struggles against a San Jose State, a Fresno State, a Notre Dame, a San Diego State, and Air Force, 
then I think this offense might be taking a step back and it might be hard for them to win maybe any of these next five games. Uh, oh. If the offensive line is bad. Really? Again, if the offensive line is good, they're going to win at least two of these next five. But if the offensive line is bad, then I think they could lose because this offense needs the offensive line to obviously run the ball, but also Brumfield to not be under pressure. And if he's under pressure, I don't think they're scoring a lot of points. So how does this offensive line look? If they're bad for five games, they're not winning any of these five. If they're maybe San Diego State, San Diego State's not going to score in that game. They could beat San Diego State 7-3 and call it a day. But the other four before that, those are good enough teams that UNLV, if their offensive line struggles to protect Brumfield, they might not score very much, right? It just might not happen. And if they don't score very much, the defense is better. Who's after San Jose State Air Force? uh, I thought it was Fresno State next. Okay, and then Notre Dame. Yes, uh, and I I will say the one caveat by the way with Fresno State, uh, their quarter their Jake Hayner did not play. I mean they just lost to UConn. Yeah, uh, Air Force actually is next, so you were right. Uh, it's San Jose State on Friday, then Air Force, then Notre Dame, and then they get Fresno and San Diego State, um, which is bad news for UNLV because the the further away the Fresno State game is, the more likely it is that Jake Hayner's going to be back. back. Um, if he if Hayner doesn't play, they're going to beat Fresno State no matter what. Yes. UConn just beat him. UConn gave up 400 <laughs> points in his previous two games. Uh, two other things from this game. Marcus Arroyo almost won his first game by a single possession. But Cameron Oliver had a pick six in the final minute right. that turned a four-point right. win into an 11-point win. You got to slide, Cameron. Give Arroyo his first one possession win. <laughs> you got to go score if you got the chance. You need to score as much as possible. He should have scored, but Arroyo should have run out of the field and tackled him and been like, I need the one possession win. Okay. So very close to a close. Technically, they won a close game uh, under Arroyo, but it was an 11 point win. So he's still winless in a game decided by one possession. All right. So Duke received a vote in the most recent USA Today poll. Marcus Arroyo is a voter. How did how is you yes? How is UNLV not getting one vote? Guess who got uh, in the others receiving votes one vote? Duke, Duke's coach. Does he vote? Both Marcus Arroyo and Duke's coach are a part of USA's today's board, and the Duke coach is like, "Well, I'm going to give myself a vote." Oh, he's got to be voting. Right? How is is Marcus Arroyo not like four and one? Come on. He is. Yeah, I'm looking at it right here. Marcus Arroyo, list of voters. And you're telling me they're not voting for themselves. Oh, come on. Put yourself 25. (laughs) What are we doing here? Get that that little others receiving vote, UNLV one. Come on. They desperately want. Again, Duke is doing that. How are you not voting? Can you, are you not allowed to vote for yourself? No, of course you can. Are we sure about that? I'm almost absolutely sure because I know people uh, who voted in basketball polls. And they vote for the themselves? Yeah. Okay. All right. I oh, I'm abso- say, I'm, I'm, I mean, who is, I, Nick I Saban, who is Nick Saban supposed to be like, mm, I guess? Uh. <laughs> I mean, I might be wrong, but I don't think I am. I think you can. Because in all seriousness, that is a headline for everybody that is good for UNLV. Hey, UNLV is receiving votes for the first time ever? Randall Cunningham? Ever? What were the polls back then? Right. I'm, I'm going to guess ever. We'll have to look that up. But that's my guess, is that it's the first time ever if, if they had gotten a vote. But they didn't because 
as Jared so well pointed out, Arroyo didn't vote for himself. Come on. Four and one. Give yourself a nod. Right? Give yourself a, just, hey, put it at twenty fourth so it says two. Oh, that that'd be good. <laughs> that's you, yeah. <laughs> just sneak him as high as you think you can get away with. Yeah. Twenty three. Give us three. All right. Coming up next, we're gonna be joined by an NFL agent. Steve Carrick joins the show. Peaks. Rush under pressure. Throws deep. Skinny post. Walk in. See him. He got clear and he walked the dog. 30 and a touchdown. It's the press box with Graney and Bischoff on ESPN Las Vegas. Joining us now, an agent for NFL players, Steve Carrick from Carrick Sports Management. Steve, good morning. Thank hey, you for Steve, joining us. What's going on, man? Good morning, guys. How are you? Good. Uh, so I know uh, you want to talk about the NFL's current concussion protocols and the issues that uh, we've seen with Tua and also Cameron Brait last night. And so I'll, I'll just give you general. What do you think the biggest problem is right now with the way the NFL handles concussion and concussion protocol? I think that there's just not enough in place to protect the players from themselves. You know, these guys have been taught their entire lives to play through injuries. And the problem with a brain injury is you can't see it. And, uh, you know, you hear guys talk to talk guys say to me a lot, I have mild symptoms. There's no such thing as a mild symptom. You either have a symptom or you don't. Your brain either feels normal or it doesn't. There's no gray area there. And, and at the end of the day, anyone whose head does not feel 100% should not be on a football field. And what we really need these teams to do is to have something in place to where if you show concussion symptoms at any point, that mandatory, you're out for that game and you're out for the next game at a minimum. At a minimum, that should happen. And we really need to be doing a lot better job of not rushing these guys back onto the football field. And it happens time and time and time again. And there have been numerous times over the years where I've had to step in and really throw my weight around to make sure that it doesn't happen with my clients. But it shouldn't be up to the agent. It shouldn't be up to the player. There should really be protocols in place to keep these guys off the field after a concussion. How in the world, and uh, he was let go of his uh, duties, the uh, neuro specialist with Tua on the first one, is there any explanation for how that goes that wrong? Yeah, absolutely. Um, it's, I think it's a problem with, uh, with the overall medical setup in, in the NFL. And it starts with trainers and, and doctors who have been working with the team for too long. They, they build relationships with the coaches in the front office, and they feel like they're a part of the team. And unfortunately, that means they want to do what's best for the team and put a player back on the field. These independent neurologists are based in the city where the team is. And so for every concussion that that particular team has, they go to the same doctor, and those same relationships are built, and those same things happen. Uh, it's either that or carelessness. I mean, I, I don't want to say the guy was incompetent because he obviously probably wasn't to be appointed to his position. Um, so it, it most likely was just that he was trying to do right by the team. Uh, you mentioned that you've had to step in and, and throw your weight around to protect a player. Like, how, how serious has that been on your end where you're looking at it and saying, I don't think one of my players should be playing in whatever game is coming up? Uh, I mean, it's, again, this isn't, it's not hard. It's really not hard. Um, I, you have to know what the concussion symptoms are, and they can be the obvious things like blurred vision, sensitivity to light, nausea. But it can also just be having a mild headache, having neck pain. You know, a lot. You know, I, I think the whole thing with Tua is people were talking about, oh, he had back pain or it was a neck injury, a back injury. You know what? If you have neck tension after a hard hit, that probably is a, is a symptom of a concussion. And so there have been times where I've had to say, you know, I know you want to put this guy back on the field, but if you try to do it, I will exercise my, my right to a second opinion. 
which I have, and I will send them to a doctor so far away that's going to take them a day to travel there, a day to go through, and a day to get back, and you're not going to be able to put him on the field for three days. And then when he comes back, you're going to have my doctor probably telling you that he has a severe concussion and can't play for longer. And so, you know, I have had to do that a couple of times, and I have no problem doing it because part of my job is to protect these guys as well. Uh, heard this morning more of a thought of, uh, other than the protocol, you would have a doctor on the sideline who would treat them like patients. Um, Tyler made the point if, if, if that happened, um, you know, what doctors would want anyone on the field with any kind of injury. Um, and it's a violent sport. It's a brutal sport. And maybe a doctor would say, Hey, you got a knee. Yeah, you could play through it. But if this, if you, if your knee, if you hit it one time, this could be, you know, serious, serious long-term damage. What do you think about the thought, though, that instead of what they have now, you'd have actual doctors and more treating them like patients and just go, okay, you met, you you pass the five numbers here of what we need to see if you have a concussion? I love it, man. I love it. I think at the end of the day, these guys need to be protected from themselves, and that is that should be and is the job of the, of the team trainers and team medical staffs is to protect these guys themselves. Something that I say to my clients on a – literally at on a weekly basis because there are injuries in this league every week as I tell them just because you can play through it doesn't mean that you should play through it and and keeping these guys like this is one of my biggest battles on a week-to-week basis is these guys get in the bubble of of their facility where I have to play I have to play someone's going to take my job I have to help the team but as an agent you have to step back and say hey what's best for you in the short term and more importantly in the long term you, you want to be able to continue playing long-term, and I would always say it's better to miss one game and let this thing get a little bit better than to come back and have a minor injury turn into a serious one, and now you're out for the season. Not to mention the fact that when you're 35 years old, you want to be able to pick up your kids, and, and all those things should be taken into consideration. So having a doctor on the sidelines who's helping control whether or not a guy comes back on the field I think is, is a fantastic idea, as long as it's not the same doctor every time with the same team. Because when you get that continuity and they build those relationships, that's where you see issues. Steve Carrick with us from Carrick Sports Management. Um, I'm I'm curious. Uh, you talk about you know the whole mindset in football and guys have been the entire time they've played. You got to play through stuff and and the the idea of being like tough in football. Is there any way to change that? Obviously, it would start before the NFL. But like, is there any way that that mindset can be changed in football, or is that just always going to be a part of the sport? I think it's always going to be a part of the sport, and if it was going to be changed, it's going to take a long time. Um, I just think the biggest thing that, that players need to realize, because I, I want to be clear, I don't, I don't tell my clients to be soft. Not one of, not, there's not one person playing in the NFL right now, not one, that's at 100%. You're at 100% maybe on day one, and then you're not up by day three. You know, like That's just the nature of this game. So it's not being soft, but it's also knowing whether you're hurt or whether you're injured. And playing through something when you're hurt is fine, but playing through something when you're injured and you're putting your long-term health, your long-term health at risk isn't good. And it's not good for the club either. You know, if, if I have a player who's playing at 80%, not only is he putting himself at risk, but he's probably not as good at 80% as his backup is at 100% or at 95%, right? And so it's not helping the club. It's not helping the player. It's really something that should be avoided at all costs. So, um, but, but changing that mindset I don't know, man. That would they would take years. It would take years, and I don't even know how you start it. Is it the doctor on the sideline? What is it? If you're put in charge right now today, Steve Carrick, of this concussion uh, uh, issue, what do you start doing right away? If you show any signs of a of a concussion whatsoever, you're out for that game and a minimum one more. Um, and and then the, the the return to play protocol needs to be more strict 
a little bit longer and, and just with less gray area. Um, right now there's a little bit of ambiguity in that return to play protocol that certain teams treat different than others. And, uh, I just think it needs, there needs to be more, um, transparent guidelines so that we know exactly what a player has to do to return to play. But I would say at a minimum, you're missing the game. You're in a weekend. And then when you look at a situation, like yet none of us have to be neurosurgeons to see that that guy was concussed. Right. I mean, when, when you're wobbly like that and you can't get up and you fall back down, absolutely you're concussed. Getting your bell rung is being concussed. Your idea of being out for that current game and then at least one more, what are the chances you think the NFL would actually put that in place? I don't know, 20% maybe. Um, I, I, I would hope so, but I think at the end of the day, they're the most, they're most worried about the product and, and uh uh, the entertainment aspect and putting the, putting the best players on the field so they can sell the media rights for the most money. Well, he is Steve Carrick again with Carrick Sports Management. Steve, we appreciate your time. Great stuff, Steve. Thanks very much. Yeah, man. Thanks for having me on. Take care. Take care. Uh, so again, Steve Carrick. Good stuff there. NFL agent uh, with Carrick Sports Management. He sal- I mean, that sounds about as reasonable as I think you could have is, hey, you suffer concussion-like symptoms, you are immediately done for that game, for the current game, and, and the next game. you're going to miss the next one. Yeah. And then from there, whatever checklist, however you want to do it, right, from there, maybe you can come back for the following game. But that seems like a very reasonable request that could actually be met within right. the atmosphere that is the NFL, where, like you said, players are worried about losing their jobs if they're not on the field. I mean... There's there we have the evidence that like getting two concussions within like a short period of time can kill you. Yeah. yeah. And here's the other part of this, because he, you know, the whole idea of the, the player side is you can't rely on the player to basically tell you the truth in this scenario, right? Because they want to play. One of the things that I think is interesting is all of this has been because it's been about Tua, right? Who's right. the quarterback of a team. As soon as Tua is able to play football again. The Dolphins are going to put Tua back in as their starting quarterback. What I think is more interesting and and a worse situation for a lot of people to be in is what happens if you're the backup tackle? What happens if you're a backup linebacker, a backup safety? You're playing Uh on special teams and you get a concussion. You are the player that's replaceable. You are the guy that if you don't come back into the game, they're signing somebody else and, and... Putting someone up off the practice squad. Right. And you're you're done. Your season's done. Maybe your career is done. Like it's for for Tua, for the quarterbacks, your career's not done. You're going back in. But for those other guys, like that's the position. Those are the guys that are like, oh, my career is actually over if I'm not able to play. Okay, so I I never played at any of the this type of level, but there are entire games that I played that the day that I played them in high school, because I was on special teams, I don't remember how we got home. I don't remember, like, I remember kickoff and the first hit, and I don't remember a single thing after that, and I know for a fact I played because we watched film of it. <laughs> did you get asked in film, what what were you doing here? Coach, I did. Hey, <laughs> guess is yeah, as good as mine. <laughs> like, it, you just lie, and you say, well, I thought I had a better angle or something, but that's what it was. Yeah. You just lie. It's It's brutal, and I... I am curious what the NFL does because they are apparently going to change their concussion protocols to some extent in season. 
Uh, but what exactly does that look like? I don't know if it's going to. What does that make, really mean? Yeah, I don't know how big of a change it can be in season. It might not be until next season until we have yeah. legitimate change. All right, we got more tickets to give away. Two tickets to go see the Scorpions with special guest White Snake on Friday, October twenty first at Michelob Ultra Arena. 702-364-1100 is the phone number. That's seven zero two three six four eleven hundred. You want a pair of tickets to go see the Scorpions with special guest White Snake. So do you? Is because you don't get to leave the booth? Yeah, you don't really get to leave the booth. So in some stadiums, like all the newer ones, have a bathroom inside the broadcast booth where we are. Uh-huh. But in the older stadiums, you have to do like a Tom Cruise like pulley and ladder system to get to the bathroom uh-huh. in the midst of a commercial break. So the problem one time happened in Milwaukee. The Packers used to play a home game there. And I'm doing the game. First half is coming to a close. We're out of all the TV timeouts, and the half will not end. And I'm turning to people in the booth, taking my headset off, going, I've got to pee. I have got to pee. They're like, the half's going to end. Somebody gets hurt. We're on during the entire time. It's absolutely horrendous. I'm jumping up and down. Finally, we take a 30-second break, and the guy who's working with me hands me a little water bottle. Like, I... Am I William Tell? I'm going to shoot it in there for a, no, that's not going to work. So I slap that away. I'm wearing this parka because it's cold. They put a trash can in front of me. I've got 20 seconds. Then I get stage fright. <laughs> I mean, I'm in a booth for God's sake. So is there a glass front on this booth? No, it's wide open. <laughs> wide open and cold, I'm guessing and very cold. It's football. Yeah, you got to be out in the elements. So that presents a problem in and of itself. But uh, I end up with stage fright. They're counting me back from commercial five, four, three, and then boom, floodgates open and I start peeing. (laughs) The problem was play resumed and I actually called a touchdown live on national TV while peeing in a trash can. You're locked in the press box. Thank you. Very proud of that. Thank you. <laughs> Very proud of that, too. Yeah. Big moment in Joe Buck's career. Well, okay, so apparently if you read his book, it turns out it was a Brett Favre touch. <laughs> <laughs> that was beautiful. Yeah. So uh, having to pee during football games. And call, I- and call touchdowns. Not ideal for anybody, right? <laughs> DK Metcalf's got to poop. No. Joe Buck's got to pee. Not good. Poor DK. There's no cart for Joe Buck. That's right. There's just a trash (laughs) can. No, no, the best part is the guy, his his color guy's like, here's a water bottle. (laughs) (laughs) William Tell? (laughs) Literally like, thanks, buddy. Should I know who William Tell is? Yes. Okay. (laughs) I don't. They used to put apples on top of people's heads and shoot the apple off their head. Does that does that ring any does sort of bell? bell? I mean, that stunt sounds familiar. Am I supposed to know that, like, oh, these people f- made that famous? No, I don't know who that is. Doesn't sound real. <laughs> Every time you don't you're, know... You're telling be... me this is not the same people from Penn and Teller? No. Uh, well, they, I mean, they might be able to... A, yeah. oh, William Tell. I'd assume Penn and but, Teller but could William pull it off. William Tell is not Teller. No, no, he's not Teller. All right. That would have been my guess if I had had to guess who William Teller is. It would be Tell? Is William Tell alive? (laughs) No. 
No. Okay. So this, I should not know this. This is like from before TVs were in color. Yeah. Okay. All right. Yeah. I don't have any. I don't have any shame <laughs> for not knowing who this guy is. You have no reference. No, not a chance. Why is Joe Buck referencing somebody that was on that was alive before TVs were colored? Why is that like history? The, the magician he came up with, or the sharpshooter he came up with. Uh, I also don't know if we are a hundred percent know if this guy, if William Tell actually existed, because the word folk hero keeps coming <laughs> up. And according to legend, you're telling me this guy's not even real, and I'm supposed to know who he is. He famously was a really good shot, and so they would call it. They would call it if you shot a. A apple, apple off, off so, the head, off somebody's head with like a crossbow. It was, you know, you were you're William. You Tell. were playing William Tell. Okay, so you're telling me this guy wasn't even real. So this is not even like 1920 before TVs were in color. This is like 1730. Uh, yeah, this is like kinda. before toilets were invented. Yeah. No, toilets or were... before, let me rephrase yeah. that, plumbing was invented. <laughs> um, I think the a- ancient Babylonians had indoor plumbing. Really? I'm pretty I just like, sure I learned that. <laughs> I just like seeing the picture. I don't know what country it is, but the picture of like, this is where royal people would take a dump and it's just a tall tower and there's just a hole and it just falls like 30 feet onto the ground. <laughs> yeah, no, that was one of those things where like, the Middle East and India had invented indoor plumbing, and then, like, a thousand years later, England was like, we got a toilet! <laughs> <laughs> we don't poop in a hole anymore? Yeah. <laughs> That's there, Game of Thrones times. Should there be a hole on the sidelines inside the blue tent for DK Metcalf? <laughs> I don't know. How do you roll that in if you're the Raiders and you're rolling in the grass? What the whole? Uh, the whole? You kind of roll it over the hole and yeah. you take the gas and grass and you. Uh, I, did I say gas? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, well, the way the Raiders treat it, just poop on UNLV's field. It's fine. <laughs> they won't notice. It'll be fine. They don't even get to play on it half the time. All right. So to recap today's show quickly, <laughs> Marcus Arroyo needs to start voting for himself. Yes, and absolutely. we've learned lots about how far a bathroom is <laughs> in, one, in Detroit. In Detroit. In Detroit. Yes. I can't believe that. That's one of the best things Jared has contributed to this show, that Arroyo votes in this year's coaches poll and has not voted for his own team yet. Unbelievable. Come on. Do they? If they beat San Jose State, he's got to put them 25th, right? Yeah, you'd think. Road win, I big think they, road win. They might have blown their chance because they're not they're not favored going to San Jose State. They Are they lose, not? If they lose that, the they're not going to be. No, they won't be. They I think it's like four or five for okay. San Jose State. Brutal.